we have a reading today as we continue in our sermon series, Dwellings. It's going to come from Hebrews, which is near the very back of the Bible, in chapter 10, verses 11 through 25. And I'm reading from the Common English Bible. And it is written, Every priest stands every day serving and offering the same sacrifices over and over, sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right side of God. Since then, he's waiting until his enemies are made into a footstool for his feet, because he perfected the people who are being made holy with one offering for all time. The Holy Spirit affirms this when saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After these days, says the Lord, I will place my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. And I won't remember their sins and their lawless behavior anymore. When there is forgiveness for these things, there is no longer an offering for sin. Sisters and brothers, we have confidence that we can enter the Holy of Holies by means of Jesus' blood through a new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, through his body. And we have a great high priest over God's house. Therefore, let's draw near with a genuine heart, with the certainty that our faith gives us, since our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. Let's hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, because the one who made the promises is reliable. And let us consider each other for the purpose of sparking love and good deeds. Don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some people have gotten into the habit of doing. Instead, encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near. The word of God for the people of God, and everyone said together, thanks be to God. Please pray with me and please pray for me. Almighty God, my Almighty God, our Almighty God, I thank you that you commune with us when we gather in Jesus' name, and I ask that you speak to us now, that you speak to the part of our hearts that maybe we are a little hesitant to give you, that you speak into the areas of our life where we are a little hesitant to let go of our way. You have something to say. Help us to let our guard down, to have soft hearts, to have open minds, and to be led by your Spirit. Lord, I ask that you speak through me in spite of me, and that the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in spite of ourselves, because, Lord, you alone are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Thanksgiving is coming, if you didn't know. How many have Thanksgiving today? No one? I made a big deal about Thursday in first service, and then someone came up and said, hey, my Thanksgiving's today, so I thought I would be safe. But Thursday, everyone got one? Th Thursday, raise your hand. You got a place to go? You're ready to go? How many hosts or hostesses do we have in here? A few. So some people are working harder for Thursday than others. Can we get an amen? Yeah, it's true. Are you ready? I see head shaking, head nodding, sort of, roundabout. Have you sent out the invitations? 
Have you planned the menu? How many have already gone to the store? You already have everything you need. Yeah. That's some, those are the people that drive me crazy. I'm the procrastinator. Between now and Thursday, the host's house will be abuzz with activity and flurry because preparations need to be made, because the arrival of guests is anticipated, because the homes need to be cleaned and decorated. The smell of the meals will begin to fill the house, maybe on Wednesday if you're really lucky, until the anticipated guests arrive and the fun ensues, right? The quirky, weird, wonderful fun. Um, there will be stress and occasional argument. Yes? We can admit it. Come on. There will be worry and a bit of exhaustion. Work will need to be done. All of you who aren't hosting, work will need to be done after the meal to clean. Amen? Remember that. But it's all worth it. Because we know that what we're gathering for is out of love. We stress and we wear ourselves out because we care about the people who are sitting around the table, who are coming together, and nothing is more important than family, right? Hugs and kisses will be given. Conversations will be had about what's going on in people's lives. Hopefully this does not involve politics. Games will be played. Laughs will be shared. What a day of beauty. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. So let us hold the image of a wonderful and amazing Thanksgiving meal, and maybe you have to close your eyes and imagine what that looks like. Who's there? What's on the table? What it involves? We'll hold that image. Can we hold that here for a minute? We're just going to let it sit right there for a moment, and we'll be back to it. But first, I want to review our series that we're in, and then I want to walk through today's passage, and then I want to talk about how it has to do with this image of this wonderful meal and how it is that we're called to live our faith in a similar light. Are you with me? I guess you can't really do anything about it otherwise, right? We are in week three. Week one of dwellings was called Hope, and we had the vision from Revelation near the end, chapter 21, where we see the great new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, where we know that heaven and earth and God and humanity and all of creation come together as one to exist where there's no more death or pain or crying. It's going to be a good day. It's as good as done. It's already, but not yet. Week two, last week we had victory was our theme, and we celebrated the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross that went into the heavenly temple, which isn't really a temple per se, but it made sense to them, but rather the very presence of God to make the very presence of God ready for us to come in too, that we could be before God seen as clean through Jesus. Victory. That was a good day, wasn't it? And so we wait for Jesus to emerge to bring us into the presence already, but not yet. So today we have the word confidence. And I think it's a word we need to revisit. Uh, the author begins with this kind of juxtaposition of images to highlight what Jesus has done. So he offers the idea of priests standing and sacrificing and doing what they're doing on the altar, and it probably had looked nothing like what I'm doing with my hands, but standing and offering sacrifices again and again, day by day, never being able to fully wipe away the sins, but there they are standing and going. And the other image is of Jesus 
sitting. So what are they not? What's Jesus not doing? It's not standing and offering offering sacrifices anymore because the sacrifice has already been offered. Amen? It's finished. It's done. It's accomplished. Everything that Christ needed to do has been done. There will never need to be another sacrifice ever, period. And so Jesus is in the presence of God. And instead of offering sacrifice, Jesus prays for us. Jesus intercedes on our behalf. Jesus advocates for us, defends us. And if we have anything on us that does not belong, Jesus said, I have already paid the price for it. So that we may stand confidently. That's good news, is it not? So therefore, the writer says, we have three things we are to do with our newfound confidence. And I want to walk through all three of them. And funny enough, just like the Apostle Paul said that everything's founded upon faith, hope, and love, we find that number one has to do with faith, number two has to do with hope, number three has to do with love. So let us consider what follows in the word of the Scripture, therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore or so that, that means pay attention to what's coming next. And he begins each one with let us or let's. So here we go. Number one, let's draw near with a genuine heart with the certainty that our faith gives us. Since our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies are washed with pure water. Mirroring the Israelite practice of washing before you give a sacrifice, we are invited into baptism. It's an outward sign of an inward grace. The real work is what happens in our hearts when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we say yes to all that the Holy Spirit has to do within us. And we say yes. And that's big. That's acknowledging that you need it. That's acknowledging that God gives us all we need. That acknowledges that for the rest of my life, I'm going to be follow following and being guided by the Holy Spirit within to be made clean on the inside as I washed on the outside as a symbol of the cleanliness to come. The heart and the mind are specifically lifted up here. And we heard in the Jeremiah passage from our scripture that God will write the law on their hearts and, and then write on their minds. The idea of heart and mind is the very essence of who you are. We kind of get lost in our, our day and age. We separate the heart and mind as if they're different things. But in their day, heart and mind were the essence of who you are, the very core of your being, who you are at the deepest level of your identity, which has nothing to do with any labels that are on the outside of you or that anyone else has given you or any of the categories that people have shoved you in or push you to. This has to do with the piece of you that contains the image of God. The part of you that is in the struggle every day when you know what you should do And that part of you says, I don't want to. That part of you that fights back. Or something says, I know what I shouldn't do. And part of you says, yeah, you should. And that struggle ensues. And that part of you that knows deep down what is good is that part of you that is truly who you are. And we get lost in the world's identities and categories, don't we? We get lost in a way that we think we can divide each other up, but that's never the point. The point of this is who you are. Your faith is the deepest level of who you are. That part of you that actually contains a part of God. That part of you that the Holy Spirit comes into union with. And goodness dwells in you so that we can draw near God confidently. 
Jesus Christ intercedes for us that we can continue the work of being perfected, that the part of us that's fighting for the goodness has the Holy Spirit, God-enabled power within us that we may continue to grow into the person we were always meant to be, into the person that we were created to be and have since lost our way. The Holy Spirit continues to work to renew us from the inside out, and if we truly, and this is where it is, this is where it comes to us, if we truly want to be cleansed, or another way to translate that word in the Scripture is healed, or yet another way to translate that word is saved. If you want cleansing, healing, saving, we have to want it, because God never forces God's self upon us. Jesus never forced Himself upon anyone else, and the Holy Spirit does not force itself upon you either. It's funny how we find ourselves sometimes forcing ourselves on others, isn't it? Or is it just me? We have faith in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Will the Holy Spirit have a 100% success rate in your heart if you're in union and saying yes to the Spirit? Do you doubt the Spirit's ability to do its job? Do you doubt the Spirit's ability to do the job for others? So why do we say to some people they aren't allowed in church? Our goal should be to invite as many people as possible to be in union with the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can do its work. We get wrapped up in trying to do the work for it, and maybe it's just me. We try to keep people out because I lack faith in the Holy Spirit. I have more faith in myself. And if my witness is not convincing people of this way of life, then maybe it's me who needs to rethink. Number two, he says, let's hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering because the one who made the promises is reliable. We are to confess our hope without hesitation. That is our confession. Jesus Christ as our hope, and we confess it every day. Jesus is our Lord. We confess Jesus as our Lord in all that we do, whether we use any of those words or not. We confess to everyone always around, and most of the time not even with words, if we're really being authentic. Words are involved, yes, but confessing is about living, confessing with confidence, not arrogance, confessing with humility, not condescension, confessing with love, not law, confessing our hope, not our fear. And number three, let us consider each other carefully for the purpose of sparking love and good deeds. Don't stop meeting together with other believers, which some people in this early church had done. Instead, encourage each other, especially as you see the day drawing near. And the day is always referring to the day of the Lord when everything becomes one, when Jesus emerges from the temple. We are to live in a community. That's the way it was since the beginning. It is not good for a person to be alone. And we are to consider each other carefully. Do we do that? We consider each other sometimes, but do we consider each other carefully? And then there's this word, to provoke each other. Or another way to translate it, to spark, or to incite, or to stir up. So let's consider this for a moment. How do most of our interactions on a Sunday morning go? Let's be honest. Hey, Pastor Joe, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing, I'm doing well. Dan, uh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Well, God bless you, brother. Have a good week. Now, that's very polite. But would you call that provoking? Would you call that carefully considering each other? No, 
And we are called to carefully consider and provoke one another. Provoking as in kind of like fighting words, but provoking out of love to spur each other on so that we may continue to live the life of being perfected so that the life in us can continually lead us into healing so that we may be made whole. A life that is continually saved so that we may be continually made more holy. So what would that look like if you had real conversations? Think about the dinner table. Let's go back to this image. What kind of conversations do you have around the dinner table? Is it, how you doing, brother? Yeah, good. God bless you. Pass the potatoes. Maybe. Maybe it is, okay? I don't, I don't know your family. Hopefully not. Hopefully, you're engaging with one another. Hey, you look, you look like something's off. What's going on? Hey, I know that you dealt with being let go at your job. How's it going? Hey, I know that you've been diagnosed with cancer, and I know you're going through chemo, and I know it is terrible. Are you doing okay? Do you need anything? The kind of conversations we have with our family, or maybe just, maybe we're the ones that open up. You know, I've got something I need, I need to, to say. I need help. I need my sisters and my brothers. I need you to, to be with me. I don't know what the answer is, but I just need to know I'm not alone. Do we have those kinds of conversations? We should. Or maybe you're saying, Joe... That's the dinner table. This is church. That's family, and this is the church. They're different. Or, oh, really? Sisters and brothers. It's different. Oh, really? Fellow siblings of one father who partake in a meal ritually. You see where this language leads us into actual relationship. We can come and wear our Sunday best, and sometimes we do that both on the outside and on the inside. Hello, polite but maybe we just come as we are. We say it, and I, I say it. I'm just as guilty. I say it, and I mean it, but then I've got things that are on my mind, and, and maybe I don't always stop to actually consider the person standing in front of me or actually provoke them if I know what's going on in their life, and maybe I can offer a loving word or a loving spur. I don't know what that looks like exactly, but... So we can think about what it is that we're supposed to be as a family, and... We gather as the body of Christ. This is how God chooses to work. I sometimes wonder, if God knows what God's doing, but at the same time, I know God knows what God is doing, and God says, you are the church. You are the family. You are the temples of the Spirit. You are the ones that are being perfected and through whom everyone else will be perfected when we provoke each other in love and good deeds, when we come together to encourage one another with confidence. The day is drawing near when we will dine with each other at a great heavenly feast with billions and billions of other people that look and talk and smell and sound completely different, and it will be an amazing feast. Are you prepared? Are you ready? Are you sending out the invitations? Are you making the preparations within? Are you in full anticipation of the guests? God is faithful in love and fulfills all promises. What it says in our scripture today, amen? Jesus completed all that was necessary for our assured future, amen? The Holy Spirit perfects us and prepares us through our hearts and minds and also through the lives and conversation and love from my sisters and brothers, and together we do the work, amen? The celebration has already begun because we have confidence in the good news of Jesus Christ. 
but we know the real party has yet to fully arrive. Are you ready? Are you ready to live it in here? Are you ready to live it in here? Are you ready to live it out there? Go and tell the good news in all that you do, because you follow in the way of the one who has already done all that's necessary. So let us go and live in the confidence of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Thank you.